I've t- we've rang to see my counsellor and she said that that we actually have, a lot of couples don't survive this. Mm. A lot of partners don't survive, um, well, they survive, they can't, they, they they can't, can't handle it. They yeah, run away, it's yeah. too hard. And so, you know, we do have a, a strong relationship and I, I think a, um, a big part of that is, you know, we, we try and um, maintain a, we've got a good friendship and also we're still having, like, a lot of sex. <laughs> I've got stage four bowel cancer. We're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now. Talk about the things that people might be curious or want to hear but are too frightened to ask. That's Joe mckenzie McLean, and I'm Colleen O'Hanlon. We've been mates and colleagues at Stuff for 20 years. Since her diagnosis, Jo's been incredibly open about her illness on social media, and in this podcast, she wants to go further. So I'm just hoping that what we do here can just help people who are on that journey, whether they've got cancer or not, and make them feel that, you know, that they're not alone. I'm going to be with Jo every step of the way. There will be tears and laughter. She'll also offer practical insights, support and hope. This, then, is the story of Joe versus Cancer. Joe, last time we got together, we talked about, um, you know, chemotherapy, how you were handling that and the broader treatment plan. I'd be really interested to know um, about the impact of cancer on your relationships, positive and negative, you know, be that with your parents, partner, child, friends, you know, like um, are, there, are there some relationships that have really flourished and others that have found it? Well, I think in particular my relationship with my partner has got a lot stronger because he's had to step up, step up and do things that we never anticipated he would ever, ever have to do. And that's especially amazing because you were quite, you weren't like partners of 20 years, right? You know, Michael was reasonably new to your life. You know, uh, you hadn't had a long and healthy, happy history together, right? So it was a big call for him. Well, I mean, we've been friends forever. I've yeah. known him all my life, so we're all, we were already friends. So that was, but not intimately. I mean, you know, he's one of those rare men that crossed the friendship zone. Yeah, <laughs> he got out of there. <laughs> he got to the other side. <laughs> but, you know, we'd both come out of um, marriages and we were looking forward to being able to build a new relationship together. And, um, you know, it, we hadn't long been you know, a couple of years in and then we got hit with this. So it's been a real test on our relationship because we live uh, three hours apart as well and he co-parents and has a job down there and, you know, I've got my children up here and, um, uh, and, you know, from the start we got sort of thrust into the medical system. The first couple of days, you know, after surgery he was having to shower me Get me off the toilet, and uh, you know we're, we've been we've been intimate, obviously. But yeah, I know. Not but it's that... care, caregiving rather than you know love making. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know having to get help doing things that you know you've you feel really un, undignified. You know you want to feel beautiful in front of your partner and not especially like, a new one, yeah. newish one. You know. <laughs> yeah, and um, but I I. I leaned on him quite heavily at the start. It was really scary and um, he sort of showed me from the start he was going to be sticking beside me, you know. He wouldn't let me, he wouldn't leave the hospital until, I mean, he was only 
getting a couple of hours sleep because I didn't want to be left alone at the hospital. I was freaking out and crying and, um, you know, so I needed that comfort and he provided that and also I needed that strength and that support and that positive attitude. I needed his, you know, him and he's quite good with... um, positive mindset he does that a lot with he does clay road shooting skate shooting and stuff and he has kind of kind of moved a lot of that into <laughs> I think dealing with me right do you ever have a um has it ever occurred to you that people come into your life at a time that you need them you know that maybe Michael was that for you you know that um he came into your life at a time that you'd really need to lean on him and the right person for that job at the time yeah I guess I hadn't really thought I, I know that I would struggle to do it without him, but, um, yeah. That's awesome that he's such a source of strength for you, right? Because I'm sure at times you can't kind of always pull it from within that you've actually got to get it from a, an external source to help prop you up. It's definitely made us stronger as a couple, um, but it has also put pressure on us because... You know, I can be quite moody and I can be unmotivated. I can be sick and just tired and, you, you know, and I'm initially I was worried about the kids and having time with the kids that I needed to just be alone with them and I needed to be alone with Michael and I was worried about how much time I had left. And no one's actually told me you have this amount of time left, but I guess I felt like I had this ticking time bomb mm. of life in front of me and it was like... And how do you divide it up? Yeah. Who gets what? Yeah, because I had my mum, you know, my I feel, I feel huge pressure um, knowing that I'm my parents' only child now and just me... Dying early is their worst nightmare mm. too, you know. Mm. So I'm just aware of being pulled in a lot of directions, and so it, it does put a lot of pressure on all relationships. Um, but anyway, we, we've kind of ironing we've it out a and bit. You've withstood it. We've withstood you know? it, and it, I mean, it's a evolving thing, you know. Like it's still, um, it is hard to juggle everything, but he he manages to juggle work but it is it is hard he's really tired there's something called um oh I can't think of the word is it like a sympathetic condition like a companion a compassion grief or something yeah like because people around me are really tired of this too right so my parents are exhausted my stepdad looks I mean he's a good looking man but he looks like my parents look like they've aged 20 years my partner looks tired and you know exhausted. That's the ripple effect. It's yes. not just you who's going through this. It's your support network and especially those people closest to you oh. who are helping. Oh, yeah. And I mean, my parents are reti- nearly 70. Uh, well, and my dad and his wife are in their 70s, you know, and they're supposed to be enjoying retirement years and not having to step into a caregiver role for their daughter and help with their grandchildren on a... Um, you know, yeah, like, on, on the regular rather than as a pleasure, they're yeah. actually helping doing the hard yards with you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I have support from my ex-husband and his parents. Um, they've really stepped up as well, so I do have um, a, a good support. But you know, with um, I think as well with with Michael, it's been a, it's been an interesting experience with him too because I think. And so, you know, we do have a, a strong relationship. And I, I think a, um, a big part of that is 
you know, we we try and um, maintain a, we've got a good friendship and also we're still having, like, a lot of sex. Yeah, so it's not about, as much about your relationship as is normal Put as possible. Bluntly. Yeah, we're still yeah. trying to keep things normal. Yeah. And... Um, still have good times. We're still <laughs> making sure, because it's been interesting, a lot of people have said to me, like, they don't think that you have still have <laughs> I don't know where you find the energy, Joe. I don't know where you find the energy, because, you know, the, the struggle was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people think if you're sick, you, you're just definitely, you would not be having sex, right? Yeah, well, I guess I assume there'd be an impact, you know, we talk about, chemopause and stuff like that, I just assumed it'd be a massive impact on your libido for a start. So, you know, the, your your willingness to have sex versus your energy to have sex, you know, I thought that just, I just assumed it would fall down your list of, your to-do list. Well, and I mean, you know, <laughs> pre-cancer days. I remember you know, you're you... a bit of a goer. <laughs> I was going to say. It's true though, right? That, that would be, I think I wouldn't be the only person that, because you're, you're a very open person. I remember that some of the um, late night conversations we had in the Porter Cabins after the earthquakes, there was much talk about your sex life, you know, so <laughs> I have, um, I come from a place of Can't knowledge. have been that good because it's the best <laughs> I've ever had now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it gets better with age. But, um, you know, we, you know, pre-cancer days, you know, it would be like, oh, oh, I have a headache. But having cancer is like the biggest one you could sit, be like, oh, like you, not you tonight, dear. You play the cancer card. Yeah, yeah, play that. Not tonight, dear. Yeah. I've got a headache. Or I've got cancer. But, yeah. But um, we've – there's been a couple of reasons why um, it's been really good to keep up that sexual um, – Part of your relationship. Of, yeah, yeah. Because, because the fact that there is so much pressure on us as a couple just – Keeping that intimacy together yeah. and that connection with with and it, and it each has other to do with cancer. Yeah, 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 it's just a normal part of mm. our relationship that we had, yeah, before, and just, um, yeah, and just actually, just keeping that connection Be- because you know cancer changes yeah. the dynamics of your relationship, and it's it change it's changing us as well. You know, it's changed me as a person, and. Um, it must be really hard for him to watch me going through what I'm going through and just, you know, we used to go, he used to take me hunting and yep. fish on fishing trips and we used to do a lot of things together and now it's, um, yeah, it's, it is really hard. So that is one thing that we can do just to be like, well, we're still a loving couple and we still, you know, want to be together. And um, So maybe that's one, you know, conversely good thing that cancer has given you is that kind of commitment to fostering what's special between the two of you rather than taking it for granted. Yeah, yep, yeah. Because I think a lot of couples do, right? It's just you trundle along in life and before you know it, there's a bit of distance between you. But I think when you are um, you don't know how much time you have, I think it would be a really reasonable thing to want to really lean into having as many of the good times. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know how many people who don't have sex, like how often they have sex um, a week. Wait, sorry, say that again. You mean people who don't have cancer, how many times they have sex? Is that what you mean? Yeah, like how, how frequently people... Oh, I think there's a massive, like normal can be, normal is what normal is to, you know, I think. Because I, I don't know if there's a correct or average amount. I think it's like, you know. I think there's a danger of the longer you go without it, the easier it is to go without it. Absolutely, especially when you throw into the mix raising kids, paying a mortgage, 
jobs, all the other things that have to be done ahead of that, right? Yeah. So it could be easy to, you know, I've been really sore. My joints are really aching. I'm really tired. I go to bed and I really don't feel like yeah. putting out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you do, but, you know, you, you're sucking up. But all, well, Not literally. <laughs> I think, it's, I, I think <laughs> what you're trying to say is, you know, you might not necessarily 100% be in the mood, but you don't later regret. Definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. So what we've found, which has been an interesting little thing that people might want to know who have got cancer, is that actually when I've been, when we've been doing... Yep, in the act of actually having sex. Um, <laughs> where my muscles and joints had, like an hour ago being seized up and really painful, all of a sudden my You're limbs flexible. are flying everywhere. <laughs> like occasionally I'm like, oh, oh that's not going to work. And we've had to get creative with some positions. Yeah. So we came up with this position called the sleep position. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds like the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so. So it's just like, yeah, it, it probably gets a wee bit boring for him, but it's a position that's comfortable for me, and yeah. it's kind of like a position I would sort of sleep in. And yeah, um, but it works and it's good. And well, I guess I mean, I suppose that you know, you might have got to that. Um, these are kind of conversations a pair of you are having because you've got cancer. But there's any number of different health conditions, or you know, um, you know, ability issues that people might be having that might cause other couples to have the conversations. You know, like for example. Maybe your arthritis could have progressed to a point where actually some positions are painful and you have to have those conversations anyway. So in your case, it's cancer. But as people get older, yeah. bodies become more decrepit generally, right? You know, so, you know, yes. I think it's good to know for people that there are options. Yeah, well, with actually with my arthritis, my knees were quite sore. So, yeah, there were certain positions probably then too that... Off the, off the menu. But, um, yeah, so he's had to sacrifice quite a lot in terms of yeah, I'm sure you make up for it. variety. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. We're, but um, so that was, that's been really interesting. We've, and we've actually raised it with the medical professionals yep. to say that, well, this has been really interesting. After sex, Joe can move around a lot better and she doesn't seem to be in as much pain. I wonder if that's like a hormone release thing. You know, like maybe the feel-good hormones maybe actually have a – an, a, a demonstrable physical benefit for you. I wonder if you there's know? been any studies done on this. That would be know. interesting. Maybe I could be a study subject. Don't know. Better you than me <laughs> to put your sex life under the magnifying glass. That's for sure. They definitely are um, endorphin. Yeah, really. that's another reason. I guess yeah. is what I, I probably mean. Yeah, that is another reason why I'm quite keen to to keep it up because it does. My body is so used to being in pain. Basically, from head to toe, I am in pain. Yeah, um, so things that make you feel good are valuable. So, yeah, that is about the only bit that hasn't been affected by <laughs> cancer or arthritis. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, and it gives me great pleasure. So I'm like, <laughs> Lean into holy it. hell, like, bring it on. You know, like, whatever can give me any pleasure, then I'll be um, embracing it. I, so. I also think that's a great attitude because I think, as you say, it would be really easy to just put it in the too hard basket. But... Um, it is something that brings you guys closer together, makes you feel good. Roll with it. <laughs> so um, could you tell us a bit about, you know, maybe how having cancer has impacted on your relationship with your kids? How much do they know about you know, your future? 
So Travis is 12 and Morgan is 9. Yep. So I, they perhaps have different levels of understanding, but at this point they know I've got cancer and they think that the drugs that I'm on will treat me, will fix are me. Curable, are curable, to cure the cancer. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So is that because you've is that because they have assumed or is it because they've you know what I mean like has have have they just thought the cancer have they made that equation in their own head treatment equals cure or and you just haven't kind of cancelled out that assumption it's not very articulate yes. but you know what I mean yeah, yeah yeah I'd say that and also when I first told them I said that we were going to be trying every single drug to yeah. um treat this and in my head that that's that's what I thought too. Yeah. And that's what I continue to hope, um, you know. And I don't think – I think they're too young to try and scare them too much. No, With, and if that, if that scary time is coming, why, why like, drag it out for them in some ways? Yeah, I think they need – they know what they need to know at the minute. Mm. Um, if, if my health deteriorates, then we'll have to have another conversation. Um, but at the minute – they know that I've got cancer and, you know, their their daily life is disrupted enough, mm. I think. And my son's quite sensitive and uh, I just don't want to unnecessarily upset them more than I have to. And um, Of course, yeah. of course. And, and let them, as much of that childlike innocence to remain for as long as possible. Yes. Really. And you- I, the, the one thing I do... Um, they did mention to me, yeah, when I first came home from hospital, that they found it really hard with all of the visitors that I that I was getting, and they were missing time alone with me. They they were used to just it being us three, and they found it quite hard. And I still think mm. that they find it difficult that um, you know it's not just help comes to you, right? So does it mean home is a bit of a train station at times? Can be, yeah, yeah. And just and that's their personal space as well, right? You know, as, as the family space, it's also and it's it's hard on mum too because she's having to step in. Sometimes we discipline the kids at the same time. Like there's been occasions where, say, brushing teeth or whatnot, and I'm saying to the kids, trying to be a normal mum, but then my mum is in looking after me and she's trying to take pressure off me. So she's sort of helping co-parent the kids almost. And there's times that where must be tricky because uh, so tricky. Are you quite? A, are you do you parent quite a lot how you were parented, or are you quite different to your own mum? I think people would say we're similar. Mm. Same. I think I'm the same because mm. I think I've got great parents. So I don't know that I would. I've taken a drastically different pathway to them. I grew up. Mum was a single mum, and it was just my brother, her, and I. So. That's similar, but her and I probably have quite similar personalities. Um. Oh my God, I'm trying to imagine two of you in one small space and imagining what that looks like at times. Check out fireworks, the- fireworks. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, like really loving and yeah, caring, I'm but sure. it can be explosive. But you know, just normal stuff. But yeah, it's hard on Mum because she it's she she's kind of assuming a co-parent role rather mm. than a grandmother role. Mm. You know, so she's having at times, a lot of the times, having to try and help me parent the kids and be a disciplinarian and, and at times where she doesn't not just not normally have to be. It seems like a lot of people, you know, dream of being a grandparent so they can have all the good times, right? Not yeah. actually kind of be involved at the on the um, western front of parenting. And, and, and Morgan's nearly 10 and Travis is 12, so yeah. they're getting to an age where, you know, Challenging. little afternoon tea parties... 
don't cut it. You know, they, mm. they're, they're arguing back. They've got homework to do. There's hormones kicking in. Like, it's, it's quite full on. I know. And then there's times where, you know, we're both kind of like... And I'm I'm hobbling out of my room trying to still parent sometimes and there'll be times where mum and I both bark the same instruction at the kids and and then I, I'll yell at mum, I'm the mother. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I'm just trying to help. And, I, and then we both end up crying and then we both end up hugging and then the <laughs> And in the meantime, the kids have done their job and left and gone to school. Yeah. You know? Like it's just, it's just a crazy house. It is a crazy, crazy house. Um. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but our relate, you know, our relationship is. And what about what about our friendships? So I know that there've been some. You know, I can see um, there've been some women in your life, particularly who have be, beyond Michael, your mum and dad, your kids. But I can see there's been some really amazing friends in your life who have um, played enormously supportive roles, both emotional support, but really organising like practical, pragmatic things that your community do, can do to help. But um, so I'd be interested to hear about that, you know, like how people have stepped up, but also how maybe other people have, um, you know, have, have people drifted from your life, like people who maybe don't know how to talk to you or don't know how to, or feel like the cancer is a difficult topic and don't quite know how to broach it. I would say 99% of people have been completely... Um, like showing an outpouring of love and support. Wow. People that I haven't, high school friends. Um, They're so great. University friends. People in my community who I know who have been acquaintances but have become really close. Um, That's so heartening to hear. I mean, yeah. you know, like we live in a time of we worry about humanity, right? But it's so lovely to hear that actually still people care about each other. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that the kids are really picking up on too is seeing all these people help me. So it's actually teaching them some really lovely, beautiful lessons about life and about people, about empathy and about about Support. people giving, you know, and just that cancer doesn't have to be this, like, scary morbid thing all the time you know it, it, it's bringing a lot of positives that, and brings out the best in people maybe yeah. like I mean just for example you know I've got uh, my, I'm a bit of a clutterer and uh, a hoarder and you know I've had this friend that's come around who um, has just helped me when I'm ready she's helping me just slowly sort through sort through some stuff just to help declutter I had another couple of friends clean out my whole kitchen while I was away getting treatment one day um, just sort it out. Just recently I had two friends um, get their husbands basically onto the job, but I was having real trouble with all my inflammation. My kitchen was an old 1970s kitchen and I couldn't even turn on the tap some days. The old heavy drawers I couldn't use. They came round and demolished my kitchen. Oh, my God. And put in a um, – they were putting in a – a new kitchen at their place, so they modified so they their kitchen and put it in for you. Put it in for me, so they've put in a, a new kitchen oh for gosh. me that I can use, and like it's changed my life in a positive way. Positive, you know. I mean, I couldn't even use my kitchen before, so just, just incredible things that just. And I mean, things don't have to be that big. That that's an extreme example. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I would never actually. I never expected that to ever happen, and it was, you know. Uh, it's it's been amazing, but I mean, I, I I get I'm just as 
um, overwhelmed with gratitude by people who are, you know, walking my dog every day for me or, or, or helping bring me meals or how, you know, there's taking the kids out to do something cool or whatever. There's this one old work colleague of mine who puts $20 a week into my account, into my my drug fund account, just because she thinks that's, um, just wants to help. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, um, yeah. And, um, yeah. How wonderful. Must be um, awesome to know how much people love you, Joe. It's funny because I've also had people contacted contact me who have reached out who have been um, diagnosed with cancer. I've had a few people. I've had a lot over um, email, you know, and just through social media, but I've had a couple of people who have reached out that a couple in particular um, – a, a, a guy recently, he had read uh, some of my Facebook posts about what was I thought was inappropriate and yep. some some things that I just thought would be helpful tips. I'd, I'd done a couple of Facebook things and he had um, only got diagnosed earlier this year and he contacted me and wanted to meet for a coffee and I actually went to uni with his brother but we sat in a cafe and talked for ages, like a couple of hours and... Um, that was really meaningful as well. Like people who I haven't met before or I, I, I did know him, but like, like new connections. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it was really sad. Unfortunately he passed away like just recently and that was really unexpected. But um, you know, it's, that was really hard. Like it's really hard when you make connections like that with people that you want to, you, you want to support each other and mm. and and help um, help them through what you're going through. It's so nice to have just someone who is going through what you're going through because a lot of people come and visit and and they a lot of friends do say, look, we just don't have we don't know what to say or we mm. don't know what to do. But um, sometimes it's just a matter of just kind of like sitting there and sometimes it's a matter of not necessarily doing anything except showing support. Yeah, yeah. A couple of times. I, I get quite tired messaging all the time and I've had a couple of friends that just sometimes text me and say, right, I'm going to pick you up for a coffee or I'm going to take you out of town. Sometimes I just need some fresh air and a bit of a change of scenery, a coffee, do something normal and that can change my spirits quite a lot. So, um, yeah, that's that's quite helpful. Um, so I um, I you have, I think, shared information on your own kind of socials around, um, you know, like – and this really resonated with me because it's one of those things where everybody wants to say the right thing. Nobody wants to add any further grief to your situation. But you were talking in um, one video I watched, we were talking about, you know, like basically what to not ask a person with cancer about their prognosis. Uh, and I think that's quite a, it's one of those areas where people, you know, like people um, aren't sure how to tackle it. It's like an, an elephant in the room in some ways. You know, we don't want to ignore this and, 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 you know, incredibly difficult time you're going through. We also don't want to, you know, um, impinge upon your privacy. So do you have any kind of, like, I know you're, you see yourself as just one person fighting cancer and your opinion is just one person's, but, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, do you have any advice for people about how to, you know, how do you talk to somebody with cancer about their health status? Well, one thing that has really triggered me and 
upset me quite a lot. And I mean, it's only since I've had cancer. You know, I, I probably did it myself before I had cancer. So this is all new to me. You know, I don't know, um, you know, but there was a, oh, sorry, I'm just it's trying okay. to think of how to um, articulate this. But like, so I find it, I find it really hard when people ask me what my prognosis is because I don't know entirely what my prognosis is and I feel that when people ask what is your prognosis, that is like saying how long have you got left to They're live. They're basically saying are you going to die? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel... The first time someone asked me that, I was quite shocked and I didn't really know what to say. And then another person asked me that. And these were people who I didn't really know that well. And mm, I can see that actually, really confronting. Yeah. And, and in fact, one of them I didn't even particularly like that much. And I felt like punching him in the face, actually. And I thought, how dare you ask me that? Like, what business is of yours like that is so personal mm. and it's so unnecessary I felt like it was just kind of like for the curiosity curiosity yeah about oh so you know what's your situation are you, are you, are you gonna die and you know as far as I'm concerned um when people need to know if my life is coming to an end I'll let people know. Mm. And I think there's a lot better ways to ask someone that question, you know, like, like how's your treatment going? That's leave, right. Leave it up to the person whether they want to tell you or not, my treatment's going how crap. You, oh, how are you feeling? You know? <laughs> Box of fluffies. Mm. But, you know, if you say something like, how is your treatment going, then it puts it into the other person's, um, you know, they can let you know it's going really well, my cancer markers are coming down, it's looking really positive. Or shit, it's not great, it doesn't, you know, it, it leaves it up to them to how much they want to share. I mean, obviously with my close friends and family, they'll know more than um, a lot of other people. But I just feel like there was a, I had an incident that happened at a friend's funeral. He died of pal cancer last year. And I'd really ummed and about whether to go to the funeral. It was the first person that I'd connected with who'd had cancer and we'd been in touch a lot and he passed away and I was really scared about going but I decided I Michael came with me and Marie from the Cancer Society said she was going to be there so she was going to be there to support me if I needed it um so I went and I was really glad that I went and we ended up at the graveside committal and these two ladies beside me older woman they sort of looked at me and I had a chemo pump coming out of my chest, one of the drugs you have to have for 46 hours after um, it's fed in. So you're carrying this yeah. pump around for a couple so of days. So they could tell you had cancer? Well, they didn't know. Mm. But they asked me what it was and I told them it's it's chemo for cancer. And they said, oh, what sort of cancer? And I was like, oh, um, I said, oh, I've, I've got bowel cancer, same as my friend who's... Who's gravesite we are at. <laughs> Who's gravesite we are at. And, and they were like, oh, oh, no. Um, oh, no, what's your prognosis? Mm. And 
I really just didn't know what to say to that. And I just thought, well, it's none of your business for a start. I'm at my friend's funeral. Like, it just felt so insensitive mm. and I was really angry and, you know, um, it, it was quite upsetting. I had someone else with me who took over the conversation and I don't even remember what they said. But um, I've had a lot of people uh, contact me who uh, who feel the same and I think that I think it actually does resonate with a lot of people with cancer. And, I mean, I've put it out there pretty publicly that I've got stage four cancer and stage four is bad, mm. you know. You don't need to know... Mm. much more. Stage four is the worst out of all the stages to have. So work it out yourself how bad it is. Mm. But I mean, you know, but at the same time, people have said to me, oh, you should say back, oh, well, my prognosis is the same as is the same as yours. We don't, I don't know how, how long I've got, how long have you got? You- well, that's what I guess I was thinking as you were talking then is that in some ways cancer, it is like it is a bit public property in a way that other conditions might not be. You know, like might not say to somebody with um, diabetes, you know, or something, and, and, which can really um, shorten your life, you know, and, and like, what's your prognosis? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we, we um, there's a certain amount of implied privacy about health that doesn't seem to maybe exist around cancer in the same way. Would you think, is that true? Um, I'm not sure. Right. Now I do, probably. Mm. And you're supposed to maybe because you have been public about it, you know, maybe people assume that because you're public that they therefore have a right to ask you. True. You know, which you know, obviously isn't the case at all. But Well, yeah, mm. true. I've probably asked for it. <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you, you know, still have entitlement to, um, you know, privacy and respect and dignity and all those other things. So, you know, I mean, you haven't, you haven't cer- given that away. I'll certainly share, share what I – I'm really open, so I'll share what I need to share when it's time. Yeah. But – but as I said, at the moment, I don't have a prognosis and everyone's journey is different. Everyone responds to drugs differently. There's different research yep. and different things that are coming out all the time. And some people who get told they might only have six months to live can be here 10 years later. I've heard lots of stories like that. So, um, So it's almost like... It's almost like say if I did answer say if I say if I did ask my oncologist next week, okay, Give be, me a be straight with me. What does my prognosis look like? Which I have never asked him. We we don't we don't yeah. cover that, and I think he knows that. He I follows don't, your lead. Yeah, unless I need to know, you know, unless things were taking a turn, I think he would be pretty quick to tell me what was happening. But you know, he's not. He's he it could tell me the, some averages, I suppose. Like he could say, well. Statistically, you've probably got five years to live. He might say something like that, but yeah. I, I haven't asked him, and I almost feel like asking that question myself. Having that figure in your head almost is like walking around. It's well, like dooming yourself. Would start the ticking of that clock you were talking about earlier, right? You would start to think about, you know, I'm six months. It's six months on. How much? Yeah. You know, what does it look like now? I suppose. Yeah, maybe I should be dead by now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and sometimes what you put out, you get back. You know, I don't. I don't want to put out into the universe that I've only got five years left to live, or three years left to live, or six months left to live. You know, I want to live long enough to see my children grow up. You know, like I'm going to get upset right now, but like, 
you know, like I already, I already sort of live my life thinking, okay, like if I can get my kids through to high school, like through to high school, that would be a milestone. Excellent. Like yeah. they're so young at the minute. So if I could get them, if I could live long enough to get them both through high school, then that would suck. But still, they'd be kind of, you know, off to uni or yeah, old enough to kind of. Yeah, and then and then part of me will be like, oh well, it would be even better if okay if I could get them to into their twenties, or if I could make it to fifty, you know, like in my head I'm already giving myself little little reality things to try and hit, twi- things to aim for. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I'm being realistic about my situation. I know stage four is incurable. Um, you know, cancer. I've been told cancer will kill me. Um, so I'm, I've accepted that, sort of. Sometimes I put my head in the sand and I'm in complete denial. You're amazing, they, Joe. They talk, like they talk about having this kind of thing. You go through all these stages of grief, but it's true. But you sort of you 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 go up and down between the different stages all the time. Yeah. I think. But yeah, so I kind of, so I think when someone asks what your prognosis is, I think all of that, all of that balls together because it's it's confronting for me too because I'm thinking about that myself and I'm trying to I'm trying to push that out as far as possible and I don't need that balloon being popped I need to in my head visualize me being alive for my kids yeah into adulthood and me being yeah and I and I think that in a way does pop that balloon and it doesn't need pop, you know. Well, it makes it very confronting for you in a way. You're trying to put your energy into fighting the cancer, not losing yeah, the fight. Yeah, and, and why can't people kind of put a more positive spin on it rather than mm. looking at asking a question that involves my death? Think about what you're saying and think about how it might affect that person and try and ask that question in more of a positive way. Um, or, you know, or just don't ask it at all. Mm. Or... Um, you know, I think asking something like "How was your treatment going?" is the perfect one because then it, yeah, they can share as much or as yeah, little as they wish. And it shows that you, yeah, it doesn't need to be even the man on a man I sat beside on the in the aeroplane on the way to Christchurch when I told him I was coming up to Christchurch for a event and whatnot, and I had cancer and blah blah. Um, you know, he and he he said, "Oh, what, what's your prognosis?" You know, and I mm. I didn't say anything to him. I just said, "Well, you know, I don't know." And yeah, I, I sort of have got I've got more used to people asking me that now. Yeah, and I just have managed to come up with a few answers that I pull out, and you know, but I still think about it. You know, I I. I it, I got back to the hotel and I was and, thinking about it. And you've mentioned it to me twice. Yeah. You know, so that, that small interaction with him certainly, you know, has stuck with you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's the most um, most important one that I would say please think about is, um, yeah, think about when you're dealing with someone who's got cancer or maybe even family. I don't know. I'm not sure how mum would feel about that either. Or Michael, I mean, you know, they're on the same the same mindset as me that my prognosis is living until I am dead, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully that's a long way away. So um, I hope that too. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've been listening to Joe vs. Cancer with Joe McKenzie McLean and me, Colleen O'Hanlon. We know our conversations might be a tough listen, whether you've got cancer or you're caring for somebody who has. There's lots of support available and there's information in the show notes. This is a Stuff podcast produced by Chris Reed. You can listen to the full series at stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Kia kaha. Be strong. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby the human race where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.